Right, we're looking again this afternoon at Psalm 132. Psalm 132, a song of ascents. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimonies, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout for joy. Then I will make the the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. Dear brothers and sisters, as I said last week when we were looking at this psalm together, wanted to take the time one more week to look at that term, resting place, which we find in verses 8 and 14. In verse 8, Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. And it's very clear that that resting place is the place where the ark of the covenant was placed. It's the uh, temple, the tabernacle, the tent that David set up for the ark there in the city of Jerusalem when he brought the ark back from uh, the house of Obed-Edom to the city. But in uh, verse 14, you have the word again, this is my resting place forever, here I will dwell, for I have desired it. And when you look at the context, you see that that Resting place refers there to Zion. Verse 13, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. So you have the resting place identified with the place where the ark was put, and you have the resting place identified with Zion. And as we know, and as we'll see again this afternoon, that resting place is identified also with the land of Canaan. The heart of the resting place, therefore, is the temple or the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. But that rest, if you would, 
uh, rolls out from the tabernacle to the city of Zion, and in fact to the whole land, to the whole inheritance that God gave to his people. What we want to do tonight is look at three things in connection with that rest. First, God's rest in his church, then our rest with him, and finally the connection of this rest with the Sabbath day. Now the word that's used here in Psalm 132 and translated as resting place in both of those verses is not a word that is um, uh, verbally related to the Hebrew word for Sabbath. It's a different word. It's a word that we find, for example, as the root of the name Manoah in uh, Judges chapter 13. The father of Samson was named Manoah. And some think, though there's disagreement about this, that it's also the root of the name Noah, the man who built the ark. The... uh, the uh, relationship of the word is clear at least to the name Manoah. And this word then is a word which you find in some other places in the scriptures and you find some cognates of this word also in other places of the scriptures. So we're going to begin by looking at a couple of those places. First of all, Isaiah 66 verse 1. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? Clearly it's associated then with the house of God then. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? But it's also associated with the Ark of the Covenant, directly with the Ark of the Covenant. We find this in a number of places, but one place that we find it is in 1 Chronicles 6, verse 31. And this is about the uh, genealogy of Levi here in 1 Chronicles 6. You remember those first chapters of 1 Chronicles are all genealogies, and this one's particularly about the genealogy of Levi. And you read in verse 31, Now these are the men whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest. So the ark came to rest. It came to rest in that tent that David set up for it in Jerusalem, to which he brought it when he recovered the ark from uh, Kirjath-Jerim. The ark came to rest there in that place. So it's the rest of the ark. And uh, if you go back for a moment to Psalm 132, verse 8, you will see that this resting place is also called the footstool of God. Let us go into his tabernacle, let us worship at his footstool. So there's another idea associated with that Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is the footstool of God. And you remember, God has his throne above the cherubim. He's enthroned above the cherubim. And When he sits on his throne, his feet, as it were, are resting on the Ark of the Covenant. That's his footstool. And his people come to that place then 
that place where the ark is, to worship at his footstool. And so Isaiah, in chapter 6, verse 1 of his prophecy, sees this vision of God enthroned in the, above the temple and the skirts of his robe filling the holy place. It's because the ark is the footstool of God that he sees it there. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. So this rest, the resting place is directly associated with the temple of God and with the, especially with the Ark of the Covenant, which came to rest there in the house of God. And when you think of it in, that ter- in those terms, you have to think somewhat differently, of course, than you think about God's rest after his creation, his work of creation. We might say about that place of rest, if you want to talk about a place of rest after the work of creation, that it was the Garden of Eden, that there God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, that there he rested, as it were, from his labor of creation and enjoyed the fellowship of Adam and Eve and enjoyed the goodness of that very good creation which he had made. But here, That rest is associated with the temple, with the house of God, with the tabernacle, with the tent that David set up. That's God's resting place. It's a very particular place then on the earth. It's the place uh, where he came to set up his house among his people and to dwell among them. His resting place, therefore, is among his people. Now here, too, I think we see some of these associations. We see this um, idea of rest associated with the temple in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 2. David is here talking to the people about what he had planned with respect to the house of God and and is giving instructions to Solomon about that house of God. But he introduces his remarks with these words in verse 2 of 1 Chronicles 28. David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. So he had made plans, he says, to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. This is the new house of rest, then, that David planned, and it's the house of rest which Solomon built. The the temple, the tabernacle, the temple, are the house of rest for the Ark of God. The house of rest for, in fact, God himself. And if we think about that, then in New Testament terms, God's house of rest in the New Testament is his church. 
His church becomes the house of rest. His church becomes the, the place where he, as it were, is enthroned and where his feet rest on the earth. And then ultimately, of course, that rest is also the heavenly sanctuary, that place of rest. You find that in Hebrews chapter 3, verse uh, chapters 3 and 4, especially in chapter 4, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, where the apostle uh, uses the example of Israel in the wilderness as an example of unbelief and of people who were not allowed to enter God's rest. And he says to the um, Christians in verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. And that uh, house of rest then is described in detail in Hebrews chapter 9, that heavenly sanctuary. It's described in Hebrews chapter 9. So what we have, in, as we survey this idea of the resting place of God, or the resting place of the ark in the scriptures, is a a developing idea of that resting place and more and more glorious resting places for God as the history passes. The tabernacle is the first resting place, but it's a tent. It's not a permanent dwelling. The temple is the second dwelling place, the second resting place. It's a permanent house, but it's an earthly house. The church is the third resting place for God. It's the spiritual house of God, the fulfillment of those Old Testament types. And ultimately, the heavenly sanctuary is the final and most glorious resting place of God. God builds for himself then more and more glorious resting places as time passes. Now we have to think then, first of all, in those terms about this resting place that's talked about here in Psalm 132. It's the resting place for God. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. But this resting place becomes the resting place also for his people. So God comes to rest there in that place, and then God brings his people into that place to rest with him. In fact, I think we may say that it's the fellowship between God and his people, the enjoyment of each other's fellowship, that is the heart of that rest, the rest of God and the rest of his people. Now this comes out very clearly in Numbers chapter 10. I want to turn there and spend a little bit of time there in Numbers 10, looking at this idea of the resting place and being the resting place of God and the resting place of his people. The particular verses we're interested in are verses 33 to 36, but we need to call attention to the context of those verses as well. And the context begins in verse 11 of the chapter, and there we find that it had 
come to be time for Israel to leave Mount Zion, Mount Sinai. They had come there after departing from Egypt. They had spent two years there while God gave them the law and while the tabernacle was being built and while God was really forming the nation of Israel to be his people. But all that work is finished now and it's time for them to go on to the land of Canaan. The people don't know at this stage, of course, that there are going to be 38 more years of their wandering in the wilderness before they get to that land. That's not clear to them. They think the journey is relatively short and it's going to take them not so very long to get to the land from Mount Sinai. But what you find also in the context then is that when the people set out to go to the land of Canaan, they set out by their armies. So you get this picture of Israel as an army, as the host of the Lord, marching through the wilderness to conquer the land of Canaan. And there's a very particular order that they have to follow. The the whole nation is very carefully organized by God in their march. So the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, not counting the Levites in this case, are Uh, divided up into four groups of three tribes each. And these uh, four groups are to be arranged in a particular order in their marching through all those years that they spent in the wilderness. And at the first, at the head of the uh, uh, armies of Israel stands Judah with the tribes of Issachar and Zebulun. But in between... The uh, groups of tribes, then, are the Levites with the tabernacle and the furnishings of the tabernacle. Between the first and second groups are the, uh, three, the first two orders of the Levites, the um, Gershonites, I think, and the, and the um, Merarites. And they're carrying all the furnishings of the, all, the, uh, all the tabernacle itself. They're between the first two groups of tribes. And then there's another group of Levites, the Kohathites, who carry all the furnishings of the tabernacle between the second and third groups of tribes. And then the last group of tribes forms the rear guard. So this is a very structured uh, march that the people are to follow, a very organized march. And that's necessary to... uh, lay out that picture because what you see in verses 33 to 36 then is that the very head of the column of Israel's army goes the Ark of the Covenant with the priests carrying it. That's in verse 33. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them. So the Ark of the Covenant goes in front of Israel just as it did as they encircled the city of Jericho for six days, seven days actually, and marched around that city of Jericho with the Ark of the Covenant before them. And we read there then in verse 33 that it went before them for three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. Now remember that this Ark is the resting place of God. So when the ark had 
come to the place where God intended Israel to camp, the tabernacle would be set up and the ark would be placed in that tabernacle. That would be God's resting place for that time that they were there in that encampment. And then the people would come to that place. And here it's called their resting place. The ark went ahead of them to search out a resting place for them. So God and his people coming together in this resting place for the ark and for his people. But then go on to the following verses. The following, the next verse makes a reference to the cloud. The cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. But what happened to that cloud when they came to these resting places where the tabernacle would be set up and the ark would come to its rest? That cloud would hover over the tabernacle. That cloud was the visible representation of God's presence with them and God would rest in the tabernacle. That would be his throne for that time and the ark would be his footstool for that time. And the place around that tabernacle would be the resting place for the tribes of Israel. And then the last two verses, so it was whenever the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. So the ark would go ahead of the armies of Israel and would scatter all their enemies and clear a place for them to come into the rest where the ark had found its resting place. And when the ark rested, verse 36, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. God would come back from scattering the enemies to uh, dwell among the many thousands of Israel. This this is what Psalm 68 is all about. It's a, a glorious celebration of this procession of God through the wilderness, and scattering the enemies of his people using this language of Moses in verse 35 at the very beginning of that psalm, and then coming back to rest among the many thousands of Israel. So the the tabernacle is God's resting place, and it is his people's resting place. He brings them into his own resting place. But those resting places that the Lord had in the wilderness were very temporary resting places. They would camp for a while at one spot, and then they would pack up the tabernacle, take the furnishings of the tabernacle, and get in their order of march again, and they would proceed to the next place. They continued to do this through a period of 38 years. They were very um, temporary resting places for the ark and for the people of God. But they were always where the tabernacle was set up, where the ark rested. As Israel was marching then through the wilderness, she had as her goal to get to Canaan, which was the land of rest. And so in Psalm 95, verse 11, God says of the unbelieving generation in the wilderness, they shall not enter into my rest. They would not be allowed to enter into Canaan, the land of rest. 
And in Deuteronomy 12, again, I want to take a few minutes to look at this passage. There are three things we want to see here. Deuteronomy 12, verses 9, 10, and 11. First of all, you find there in verse 9 that the inheritance that God was giving to his people is called rest. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. And then you find that God speaks also of rest from enemies in verse 10. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about, so that you dwell in safety. So they come to the land of rest, the Lord gives them victories over their enemies, he gives them ultimately rest from all those enemies round about, and then when he has given them rest from all the enemies, verse 11, there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And going on even to verse 12, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. In other words, God's going to establish in the land, after he's given them rest from their enemies, a permanent place, a central place of worship, where they are to make all their offerings, bring all their offerings and all their tithes, and where they are to rejoice before the Lord their God. That's his house, the place of his rest, the place where the ark came to rest, first in Shiloh and later in Jerusalem. So in this chapter, you have these three things associated with rest. The land, rest from the enemies, war against the enemies, and the central place of worship, the place of rest, the place where God has his footstool. Now, going on then to the book of Joshua, we find that there's quite an emphasis in the book of Joshua on this idea of rest. And remember here, as we're talking about this, this is all that other word for rest, not the word for Sabbath, but the other word for rest that we've been referring to. Joshua chapter 1, first of all. Joshua here is talking to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh, which had their inheritance on the east of Jordan. The conquest of the That land had been completed while Moses was still alive. But Moses had extracted from Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh a promise that they would assist the rest of the nation in conquering the land of Canaan before they uh, went back to enjoy their own inheritance. And Joshua refers to that here in Joshua 1. Joshua 1, verses 13 to 15. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them, 
until the Lord has given your brethren rest. So he's given you rest, but you're not to enjoy it until the Lord has given your brethren rest. As he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So this is the idea then of rest in the land and of the conquest of enemies again. Now there's three more references to this rest at the end of Joshua, chapters 21, 22, and 23. First in chapter 21. 21 verses 43 to 45. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. He gave them the rest that he had promised in the land. He gave them the enjoyment of the land, the enjoyment of the abundance and peace and prosperity of the land by first giving them rest from their enemies all around. Therefore, in the next chapter, Joshua releases the people of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. 22, verses 4 and 5. Or verse 4, rather, is all we need. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possessions, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. And then in 23, verse 1, when Joshua makes his farewell address to the people of Israel just before he died, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old and advanced in age. So this is rest. And it's the same word that we find or the same root of the word that we find in Psalm 132, the resting place of the ark of the covenant and the resting place of God. But now, if you think about that history of Joshua, and especially about that final address of Joshua to the people, one of the things that Joshua did was tell the people, you still have enemies to conquer. You still have work to do, and after I'm dead, I want you to go out and do that. This is really the theme, in fact, of his speech, but you can pick it up from verse 5, and the Lord your God will expel them, that is your enemies, the nations that remain in the land, will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight, so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. So Joshua didn't complete the work. He said, you have work to do. And in Judges chapter 1, the people took up that work of finishing the conquest of the land, but they didn't really finish it. They did some of it, but not all of it, and were led into disobedience by the nations that remained, and sinned against God, became apostate, 
abandoned the house of God, and so on. They forsook the Lord their God. We read more than once in the book of Judges. But as the book of Judges proceeded, some of this work continued to be done. As Judges arose, as God gave Judges and Deliverers, some of this work of driving out those remaining nations continued. And Saul did some of this work of driving out nations that remained, particularly the Philistines. But it was not completed until David. So you get this picture of the people establishing themselves in the land of rest that goes through that whole period from Joshua all the way to David. And that rest not being perfected until David has finished all of his conquests and has conquered all the land that God promised to Abraham and to Israel many, many years before this. And so what David said, 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. The language is very similar to the language used of Israel in Joshua. The Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. So David says, The Lord's given us rest from our enemies. Let's now make a better place of rest for the Lord. Let's build a house for the Lord, a permanent house, no longer a tent, but a permanent house for the Lord to dwell in, a permanent place of rest. He's given us rest from our enemies. Let's give him a place of rest here in our land. And in verses 10 and 11, the Lord talks back to David through Nathan the prophet. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. You see this development of the idea of rest since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house so the Lord refers to that rest too and then he says no David you're not going to build my house my house of rest Solomon your son will build it and so we go on to Solomon And we find in 1 Chronicles 22, verses 9 and 10, 1 Chronicles 22, verses 9 and 10, that God says to David, Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. A son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon. For I will give peace, Solomon means peace, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. And these are ideas, of course, that are associated with the house, the throne of the kingdom, is ultimately the throne of God, which is in the house of rest. 
the footstool of God rests there. And God's going to establish a house for David, and he's going to put a man of rest on that throne of David, and that throne of Solomon is going to be there forever. He will be Solomon's father, and Solomon will be his son. And then, when Solomon had finished building the temple and at the dedication of the temple, Solomon spoke these words to the people, 1 Kings 8, verse 56. Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. And notice here in this next thing, the recalling of the language of Joshua, chapter 21. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. So you see that rest of God developing and being perfected in the land of Canaan, coming to its highest manifestation under Solomon. But, even that rest didn't last. Even in the reign of Solomon, that rest began to be disrupted and troubled and disquieted because of sin. And so the rest was lost under wicked kings, and righteous kings had to restore it. Second Chronicles 14, verses 6 and 7, we read about Asa, King Asa. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers, gates and bars while the land is yet before us because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And in chapter 15, verse 15, all Judah rejoiced at the oath which they had sworn to be loyal to the Lord. For they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Again, about Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20, verse 30. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. And finally, in Isaiah chapter 14, Regarding the captivity in Babylon, Isaiah 14, verses 3 and 7. It shall come to pass in the day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. And in verse 7, the whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. So the rest was at various times in the Old Testament lost and then restored, lost and restored, lost and restored. And it was lost and restored, of course, because it was only a typical rest. And as typical rest, imperfect perfect rest had to wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is the new Joshua. Joshua is the same name, in fact. The Hebrew form of the Greek word, Jesus. And Hebrews chapter 4 points us to that fact. He's the new Joshua, the captain of the Lord's hosts, who goes before his people to scatter and conquer their enemies. He is the new David who achieves final victory over the enemies of God's people. And he is the new Solomon, the new man of rest, who builds the new house of God, the more glorious house of God, where God comes to dwell among his people. Where God has his throne, and where God has his footstool. This idea is even found in the prophecy of Haggai. And I think that prophecy of Haggai is significant because you remember that that prophecy of Haggai was spoken at the time that Israel was building the second temple under Ezra. But later than Ezra because they hadn't finished it. And in uh, Haggai 2, the Lord says this, Verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. I think that really should be translated, and the desire of all nations shall come, referring to the nation's treasures. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, another word associated with rest, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. He's talking about that new temple where he will dwell, the new temple of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is building that house now. It's not something that was accomplished in a moment, not even something that was accomplished in a few days, but it's a process that takes place throughout the whole of the New Testament until the heavenly sanctuary, the perfect heavenly sanctuary, is established with his coming again. That's the perfect and final resting place. And how does he do this? How does our Lord do this? Well, he conquered our enemies. He died for the conquest of our enemies. And then he rose from the dead. And rising from the dead, he entered into his rest, into the heavenly sanctuary. And now is bringing his people along to that heavenly sanctuary to be with him. Again, some prophecy. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Isaiah 11, verse 10. This first part of this chapter is all about the rod that comes from the stem of Jesse and the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him. And in verse 10, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. 
His resting place shall be glorious. That's his church. And ultimately his church in the heavenly sanctuary. To return again to Isaiah 66, verse 1, where we read, Where is the house that you will build me, and where is the place of my rest? Where is that place of rest? God says it later in the chapter. Earth is my footstool, or in the same verse a little bit earlier, Earth is my footstool. He does not have a footstool now in the city of Jerusalem, in the house of God. The earth itself is his footstool. Why is it his footstool? Because all nations will gather at his footstool to worship him there. And in Isaiah 32, verses 17 and 18, the work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. That's the promise that's fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. But so far we've made no mention of the Sabbath, have we? It's all been about the temple, about the people of God, about God himself, about our Lord Jesus Christ, about the church, nothing about the Sabbath. Well, this same word that we find in Psalm 132 and that we've been talking about in all these first two points is also used in connection with the Sabbath day. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Exodus 20, verse 11 is the first place. This is in the fourth commandment. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. That word rested there is not the word for Sabbath. There is a verbal form of that word for Sabbath, Sabbath, the seventh day, but it's not that. It's this other word. The Lord uh, rested the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And that verse recalls Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. It's a direct reference to Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And there, in those verses we read, on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. But the difference is, and in Genesis 2 the word is Sabbath, he Sabbathed on the seventh day. In it, he Sabbathed from all his work, which God created and made. So Exodus 20, referring to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, changes the word from Sabbath to this other word that we find in Psalm 132. And you find the same thing in Exodus 23, verse 12, where it's not applied to God, but to The people, six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And in Deuteronomy 5, verse 14, also in the fourth commandment, the same word is used again. So these two words are tied together, Sabbath and what we may call rest, the word from which Psalm 132 gets the word resting place. 
Why the two different words? Well, I think it's this, that when God created, and that word is used in Isaiah of his making of his people, when God created his people, he began a new work of creation. And when he had finished that work at Mount Sinai, of making that people, creating and forming that people, Israel, to be his own, he set up among them his resting place, his tabernacle. And then he made that tabernacle more and more glorious as the history of his people passed. First with the Temple of Solomon, then with the church, and finally it will be in the heavenly sanctuary. But his rest is on the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath rest of God, and it's the Sabbath rest of his people. That tabernacle is the place of Sabbath rest, the place of worship of God. So this is God's rest, God's Sabbath, and our Sabbath that's there in that temple and tabernacle. It's not rest for the whole world as it exists now. God has his resting place among his own chosen people. So what we see then is that rest, the Sabbath is, rather, rest. Rest with Christ. Here in Psalm 132. It's God's resting place that becomes our resting place. It becomes God's resting place fundamentally because Christ is there in that heavenly sanctuary. And it becomes our resting place because God calls us through Christ to come to that resting place and to seek that resting place. The Sabbath is our foretaste of that resting place that we will have in glory. It's the foretaste of that uh, glorious description of the church that we have in Hebrews chapter 12, where it's called the company of the firstborn and of the angels and of Christ himself. And it's because Christ has entered his rest that we too can come into that rest. This is why we worship on the first day of the week rather than the seventh. Christ entered into his rest on the first day, not the seventh, fulfilling that Old Testament Sabbath by his first day entrance into rest. And he calls us to rest then. Matthew 11 Verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, the promise of that rest for us also Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. This is the rest that we seek. 
rest that Hebrews 4 talks about when it says there remains a rest for the people of God. May God bless his word for our good.